I'm Mike. And I'm Allison. Yeah, Beb. And um, since I'm talking, I'm going to be the one delivering the story this week. Yes, you are. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I'd be pretty unprepared right now. Yeah, well, you're never unprepared, so that's good. Um, I'm excited. This one's going to be uh, interesting. It's uh, got a, a lot of Chinese names. It's to give you kind of a sneak peek, so I'm going to do my best to uh, you know say the names and everything. But before we get into that, I uh, wanted to mention, if you enjoy this uh, podcast, if you can give us a, a five-star review and uh, some kind words on Apple Podcasts, that'd be very much appreciated. We got bombarded with these like three or four reviews of one star, and they're like, you guys talk too much. And it's like, okay, well, fast forward and go ahead and listen to the rest if you'd like, or become a Patreon and go listen to some episodes that have no banter. But um, if you think the banter's okay, then go ahead and yeah, go, go move over to that uh, Apple podcast and give us that five-star review. Yeah, and we'll try to keep our, our uh, chit-chat to a minimum, but you know, just to come in, like listen for 10 minutes, and then just give a one-star review is what those reviews felt like. Yeah. So they really bring our ratings down in a big way. It's always the the negative um, comments and reviews that always stand out the most in so many ways. Well, yeah. They hurt, you know, they hurt more. Like you could get 15 positive things, but you'll always remember that one negative. And you know what? There's this one dude. Um, he, he is the one that made fun of me for uh, making fun of the Texas accents. Okay. He came back and updated his review. So I know you're still listening, buddy. I know you're still listening to the show. So I, I appreciate you listening. <laughs> Was it additional negative? Um, it was like it was like oh go listen to the true crime and coffee couple or the tr- the crime and coffee couple is it or no no the true crime couple okay um you know we talked to them too on instagram yeah. they're, they're a great podcast go check them out for sure but he's like if you want a real true crime experience i'm like okay but you're still listening to us so it's like a, if you listen to a radio show and they have people calling and be like you guys suck it's like we suck but you're listening to us so. right and bottom line is you can never make a hundred percent of people happy it's yeah. you're gonna drive yourself crazy if you even try to do it but i'm all about you know i want to listen to feedback i'm for very sure. big on that um you know even in my work i've been doing my job for what close to 20 years and I'm always open to feedback because the day I stop learning and bettering myself is you know the day that it's pretty depressing yeah so I'm open to feedback but sometimes the negative ones don't really give much feedback hey go ahead and actually somebody else gave a five-star review and said hey you guys talk too much it's like okay well he gave us five stars and definitely gonna you know give that yeah so we could always rein that in a bit yeah so uh, we'll make sure not to talk a little bit of banter more than like what five minutes or so yeah i mean uh it's nice to kind of lean into it a little bit i feel like too cold of an opening is like it's kind of like no foreplay you know well and i guess you know you you get no personality you didn't even like react to me saying foreplay well i guess maybe i'm just used to you mike (laughs) like you were that's very telling. You're like, yeah, you know what? That's true. It's just exactly like. <laughs> I mean, one. really, it's true. Yeah, it's like you got to warm up just the pot a little bit, stir the pot. You know, you can't just right in. Yeah, you can't like just zap a a bowl of soup. It's not going to be as good. You got to warm it, it up time. slowly, stir mix it. it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, so it's to me, it's about balance and yeah. you know trying our best to make people happy. Absolutely, that's, that's all, all we can we're do. Trying. Yep, and bringing you some some good true crime stories. So, uh, what's up this week? We got July Fourth. Happy uh, July Third here in the United States. Independence Day. We're very excited our dogs aren't lots of uh, fireworks going off while our dog yeah our little poppy she hates um you know thunder and fireworks so tomorrow is going to be a little rough for her but we put her in her cage with a sound machine and give her like a calming treat and you know hopefully she'll get through it with unscathed yeah the kids call it doggy weed even though it's not no something on amazon that we found yeah it's like just different herbs not not marijuana no no (laughs) but hey if it worked it worked so she likes it um what was your uh, amazon addiction this week you got quite a few deliveries i would say well they were mostly for our daughter okay okay. um but i got folks there's always an excuse yes mike it is an excuse they were for our daughter that's my excuse oh were those shoes for your daughter uh no so they're hideous they're these slides these like sandal slides and I've seen them before, like, and I don't know where, but they look like marshmallows, basically. But they are really comfortable. And when I'm home, I'm not about fashion. I'm about comfort. I mean, let's be honest. You're not really about fashion. Really. <laughs> I was just going to say, even when I'm out, I'm not really. A, no. I'm a, you know. I think you look cool. Kind of like you... this podcast. It's about balancing it. Right. And I, I told you yesterday, we were going out to see, or two days ago, we went to see the Minions movie with our teenage son who wanted to go see it with his friends. There's some online TikTok thing where they were supposed to wear like suits or something. And there were kids wearing like tuxedos. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you looked really cute. And I said, hey, you did a good job. You look, and then you went back and put on some makeup. I'm like, whoa, you just keep on getting well, better. I wear makeup to work every day you jackass yeah yeah well i don't see you you leave at five in the morning so um these shoes are very comfortable i mean they're like walking on clouds so if you don't care what your feet look like per se but you want to be comfortable 
these are the ones for you. They're the good house shoes. Yeah, good yeah. house shoes. Yeah. Well, so our daughter tried them on and she liked them so much. I got her a pair too. Okay. That's, that's usually how it goes. You guys are good shopping pairs. We are. We're good pair. All right, so we're at five let's, minutes. let's get in. We're at five let's minutes. Do let's do it. it. We don't want to piss anybody off. Yeah, God knows. Jeepers, creepers. So here we go. Um, this episode, this particular story, uh, is about a guy named Zhang Hong. So there's going to be a lot of Asian names here that yeah. I'm not an Asian speaker, um, Chinese. Oh, or, I thought you were. Yeah, believe it or not, you would think that I huh. am because I'm a really smart guy. I thought you did a smart. lot of business over in China. Nope, not yet. So um, hey, someday, maybe I will. I hope not. But Cantonese and all those kind of languages are not my strong suit. I don't want you to be that far away from us. Yeah. So I'm going to use a lot of like first names here just to kind of try to keep it simple for yeah. English speaking people. And um, yeah, we'll go from here. So this is a story about one of the biggest and most infamous true crime stories in China. But the weird thing is that there's really no information on this like whatsoever in America. Really? Well, nothing English speaking like ever. The only articles are, have you ever done a research on, or, you know, on a particular story and you find these articles that are like very broken English? No, you've had that before. I have. I don't know why. The one over in the islands. Yep. And actually, when I was looking for a photo for you for that case, you were completely right. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but no, because I've done a couple over in Japan and they were all, you know, translated perfectly fine to English. Okay. So this one's interesting. Um, you know, I couldn't find a lot, like I said, and to my knowledge, I did a search on Apple Podcasts, and there's never been a podcast that covered this one. Wow. So it's it's kind of weird that such a gigantic country like China, this is the big true grime story over there, like, you know, one of the top 10. And, you know, this would be like a Lori Vallow or something, like something that everybody knows. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. interesting that there's not been another podcast done about it in America. Yep. If you find one, let me know. So I found the story on Reddit, thanks to a username, Moondog151. I mentioned him because I actually had a little chat and said, hey, do you mind if I use your research? He did a fantastic job researching. So awesome. I checked out a lot of his sources. I you know, Googled a lot, and it was all the same thing. So he did a great job. Thanks, Moondog. Um, the story takes place in 2012 in China. So Zhang Hong was born in 1968, which would make him about 54 years old today. Uh, he owned a rice factory and managed some hotels, some stores, and also invested in areas of tourism industry. So the guy wasn't doing too bad for himself at all. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a million rice factories in China. He got, you know, a lot of different investments, a lot of different assets and things like that. So uh, he was married with children. I don't know his wife's name, um, unfortunately. So you're going to probably wonder what his wife's name is. I don't know. Well, uh, just those finer details are just not there. Correct. That's going to be kind of a, a prevailing theme. But I got the whole story here. But he was pretty well known locally because all the different businesses he was in. So just because he was pretty wealthy doesn't mean that he didn't have some demons. Uh, it sounds like Jung gambled quite a bit. So even though gambling is illegal in China, uh, outside of Macau. So I don't know if you've heard of Macau. No, I, you know, of course, I've never been to China. No. No. I haven't. Really? You didn't know that about me? No, yeah. Oh, um, we've no, been married I've, 20 years. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never been to China. And also, I'm one of those people that, geographically speaking, unless I've been somewhere, I'm not very good. Well, there's a lot of countries named here. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to get pretty deep. Here, but so. when I do research, I do always look it up on the map just so I know what I'm talking about and where I'm at. Yeah. That's so, helpful. okay. So, you're saying, which? what was the city's name? So, he, you know, he gambles a lot in China. And China's, you know, a communist country, mm -hmm. a dictator. It's, it's very, you know, strict um, so nowhere in the country is gambling legal correct yet somehow he's able to do it right through these underground uh underground uh, casinos and such got it um and outside of macau i just a quick little side note macau is four times bigger than las vegas so wow. everybody thinks las vegas is the center of gambling here in the western world and it absolutely is okay so i'm sorry i missed this macau I'm, is I'm a city naming, in china yes it's it says something i'm i I, I thought it was interesting that Macau was four times bigger than... But there's no gambling in Macau. Only in Macau, but he's oh, not in Macau. only in Macau, yeah, yeah. and it's in China, though. Yes. Oh, interesting that they allow it in that one city. It's kind of like, remember 10, 15 years ago when gambling was only allowed in Vegas in the United States? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Okay, got it. Yeah, so, okay. So now that the, I got my quick little fact out of the way... Um, Jung gambled at a lot of these, like I said, underground casinos, and like every single gambler, he lost more than he won. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't care if you have somebody that you know that says they do really well gambling. They just don't tell you about their losses. Of course. People are on the highs with the wins, and then they keep those lows to themselves. Right, right. And now, <laughs> No one's going around saying, ah, I lost $300 last night. Right. Now, let's say you like win a huge jackpot, and it's like, okay, you won $5 million, and you're probably going to be up gambling for your whole life. But I mean, 99% of people, that's the reason these casinos casinos exist i mean that you're playing a game actively that is against you and mm -hmm. the longer you play the more money you're going to give back that's how it works um 
so yeah, he was into these all these casinos, and um, you know, as he gambled more and more, eventually he met a man from Wenzhou, China. That's a city in China named Hu Fangquan. So I'm going to be talking about Hu. Okay. Okay. Hu was born July 16th, 1962, making him 59 today, almost 60. And Hu was well known for those people looking for private financing outside of financial institutions like banking and traditional loan systems. So you could say he was a loan shark. Mm-hmm. So usually what a loan shark does is offer you money at a huge interest rate and tries to make a shitload of money off of you. And, you know, you're, takes advantage of your demons, basically, and, and you know, keeps you in a severe amount of debt. So somebody who's looking for a, somebody like a loan shark, they're in need for quick cash? Correct. Okay. And they don't want to put it down against like their house or something like that. But okay. it, this is kind of worse because these types of guys come after you and break your legs. Yeah, and, not uh, on a legal sense. They're going to come and get you. Yeah, and we've talked about in China the gangs and stuff, and it's it's pretty serious business here. So, you know, he was racking up quite a bill, and he's like, you know, about this guy. The guy's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll forward you some money, no problem, man. You know, gets really friendly with him, makes it seem like it's no no big deal, and yeah, get gets into some trouble here. So, uh, who was well known? for those people looking for private financing. So, you know, someone, uh, like I said, who lends money at a high interest rate, who is also well-known by law enforcement, um, because this isn't a typical activity that's you know, looked at very very nicely in China. He was well-connected, very charismatic, which ultimately, ultimately helped him to become pretty well-off financially, as you can imagine. So usually these guys that are involved in a lot of these different schemes and things, they're, they're, they do pretty well until they get caught. So in the year 2000, who founded an investment and financing company, but to nobody's surprise, it was just a front for loan charging business. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, money, launder that money somehow. So right. once it goes through taxes, you pay everything, it's, it's kind of clean after that. He also had a hand in running some of these underground illegal casinos. Big surprise there. Um, not a lot of good things around this guy. Just seems like pretty much anything he touches is illegal or just kind of, he's shysty or, you know. Bottom of, line, he's looking to make cash. However he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Correct. Legal or not. Yep. So I wasn't surprised to find out that who had a criminal history, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Uh, things like illegal firearm charges, fighting, resulting all together in about nine years spent in prison. Um, in the 80s and 90s, who was a snakehead? Okay. Uh, Snakehead's a person that helps smuggle people from poorer countries into richer countries. So people that were looking to get out of China, he'd help them somehow find a way out because, you know, a lot of times it's hard. China doesn't want to let you out. They want to, you know, keep you keep you in there. So he'd help them smuggle them from China to Western Europe and other wealthier Asian countries. So you have enough money, you can get out. Just a matter of finding a guy like who. Right. Uh, because of this, who traveled quite a bit. Because it would help his business as a snakehead to be able to know different countries and get to know their laws and ways around things and get to know contacts and all those different kind of things. So he traveled to countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, the kind of guy that wanted to find loopholes. Just any way he can take advantage of something and make some money in something, who was the guy to try to figure it out? Okay. So when uh, Zheng met Hu, Hu took an immediate interest in this new client. Well, he saw dollar signs. Yeah, it smells blood in the water basically Mm -hmm. he's like all right this guy's a sucker here he comes um because he recognized zhang's gambling addiction and deep pockets so he wanted to make as much money off him as he could and you're finding people who are you know in a desperate situation yeah absolutely they don't want to tell their wives you know all these i I picture chinese businessmen you know in these underground casinos having a great time and all of a sudden they look and they're down a million bucks or yeah and it's like what do i do now yeah i'm desperate unfortunately with gamblers a lot of times it's like well i'll just double the money on this one and i'll make it back right and sometimes you do and then you're like oh sweet and then you remember that time where you made it back and then the next time you go into again it's like i'll just get it next time and now they're down two million yeah it's a nightmare situation yeah so never gamble anything more than you're completely okay with losing. Mm-hmm. Like gambling's not a way to make money. And there's some professionals out there, but you know, by and large, it's not the way to do it. Just like any addiction, you know. So um, from 2010 to 2012, who loaned Zhang a total of 26.5 million yuan? Holy cow! That's the Chinese currency, which what? I yeah. learned. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, "Is that yen?" It's like yen is in Japan and yuan is China. Okay. Which I had no idea, and I'm a complete moron. Well, I would like to go. You know, that's the beauty of traveling is you get to know these things mm-hmm. and how other people live, and you know. But we've never been, so yeah. So, so um, what does that translate to in our our dollar? That is right now about four million dollars. Ooh, wow! So quite a quite a big chunk of change there. 
Um, so he wanted to loan him the money to try to help win back the gambling losses. And so what he, a nice guy! Yeah, yeah, super nice. Uh, who was confident that Jung would pay him because he knew that if he didn't pay, there'd be serious repercussions. Yeah. So um, in June ten, on June tenth, two thousand twelve, Jung was on a business trip to Hangzhou, which is near Shanghai. Okay, and somehow who found out about this business trip? So who asked Jung if they could meet up and you know take care of this uh, little debt that he has? So at this point, he was kind of avoiding him a little bit. And he's like, "Holy shit, I owe him four million bucks or you know twenty six million yuan, and uh, well, I'll pay him eventually. I just uh, need to gather the money here." But um, who found out that he was traveling? So he's like, "Hey, how about we meet up?" And Jung, of course, is like, "Okay, yeah, we'll meet up. Sounds good." So um, Jung agreed on a meetup at his hotel where he was staying. And was prepared to give Hu some bad news, saying that he had to delay his payment. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Hu kind of knew about this a little bit. You know, they're all kind of in the same circles. They talk to the same people. And this Hu guy is pretty sharp. Now, so. does Hu have a posse of people that can come and, like, break your legs or whatever it is they do? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Um, from what I know, just from what you're going to hear, probably about 10 or 12 different people. Wow. I mean, probably even more. But yeah. just, you know, very close ones to him. Um, so... Yeah, like I said, they agreed to meet in the uh, hotel. Uh, Zhang also brought some associates and employees with him to the meeting, uh, just to not be by himself, probably for protection purposes. Yeah, um, Hard to hurt a guy uh, with multiple people and witnesses watching him. And they're in the middle of a hotel. Absolutely. So he thought he was, okay, well, I'll meet with him and I'll tell him and you know, I'm sure it'll be fine and <laughs> we'll figure it out some other time. Well, who's been through this before, right? And this isn't his first rodeo. Uh, who arrived at the hotel and he requested to speak to Zhang alone. He's like, no, we're not meeting in a group here. It's just me and you, buddy. This is your debt. We're not going to handle this with your associates. So Zhang wasn't looking to meet who alone. Um, so he declined. He's like, no, I, I really just want to meet here with my, my associates. And I think that'll go better. Who's like, absolutely not. This is not your choice. This is you owe me a lot of money. We're not doing this. He pissed him off. He got really, really livid. He's like, no, we're meeting together. And in fact, we're not meeting at your hotel anymore. We're going we're to meet at my hotel. Yeah. And if you don't show up, it's going to be bad news for you. In a very private area of his hotel. Correct. So this obviously makes Jung's associates nervous. They're like, um, you're going to go. He's like, I have to. I don't want him to hurt my family or anything. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, anything's possible. It's a scary situation. Yep. So the associates were so intimidated by Zhang, um, and so was uh, oh, by no, who? So by who? Uh, Zhang ended up agreeing on a one-on-one meeting with who and left his hotel, meeting who at the Wyndham Hotel in Hangzhou, which is one of the best, most luxurious hotels in Hangzhou. Well, you can probably guess where this is heading. It's not heading in a good direction. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, Zhang's associates were worried for him, and they waited for him to come back to the hotel and tell them how the meeting went. They waited and waited and waited. And he never came back. Nope. Several hours, nobody heard from uh, Zhang at all. At 11 p.m., one of the associates got a phone call from Zhang's wife. So this isn't the one you want to receive here. She was sobbing, crying, barely able to put together any words. Like, they couldn't really even get her to speak. She cried, and she was like, what, what? And she couldn't, you know, just absolutely losing it at this point. Um, eventually, they got her to calm down a little bit, and she informed the associates that she got a call from a man who claimed to have kidnapped her husband, Jung, and locked him up, quote, unquote, locked him up. They were demanding a ransom of 50 million yuan if they ever wanted to see him alive again. So they upped the ante to 50. It's like... I didn't have 26.5. How am I going to come up with 50? Yeah, well, you, I guess you figure desperate times. You know? Yeah, but you you can't create money. Yeah, and you know, I read a book about um, negotiating with terrorists. Usually they start really high. And okay. You can get them really, really low if you try. It's called um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I actually read it because it's good for sales and things mm-hmm. too for negotiation purposes. But it's like if somebody asked me for $4 million to save your life... I don't have $4 million. What? You wouldn't be able to come up with it? I could go do a GoFundMe, perhaps. Yeah, and we'd, but, um, we'd get a good $5,000 Last that. time I checked, I don't uh, have gold eggs lying around the house. Right, and most people don't either. But he figured that, you know, that Jung had enough business associates and to things. To get it from people. Right, right. So, um, let's see here. So, yeah, if they ever want to see him alive again, $50 million yuan, which comes out to about $7.4 million okay. US dollars right now. And that included all the interest. So if he would eventually pay it off in one fell swoop, you know that eventually that that's what he would end up paying because the interest rates are super high. So obviously, Jung's associates absolutely freaked out. 
they're not sure what to do. I mean, they're just there. They're his business associates. They're not like his family and stuff. They're like, what What the hell are we supposed to do? Like our boss, basically, or, you know, this guy we work with is is kidnapped. And by and if we go to the police, then we get reported and then maybe they come looking for us. And, you know, I, <laughs> well, you're putting a target on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So they're like talking to each other, basically like, um, I don't know, we're going to let his wife take care of it or should we do something about it? Or, you know, it's, just, it's a tough situation to be in. Um, the next day, June 11th, and I think in the morning, one of Zhang's associates named Lee filed a police report. Okay. Initially, the police didn't take a big interest in the case, which kind of surprised me. I'm like, what? Does it like happen a lot? <laughs> These kind of situations? I mean, it's got to be a pretty bad situation if, if this happens a lot there. They said, well, you know, these private lending disputes happen, happen a lot, especially between business associates. And they're like, well, it'll get figured out. And they're private like, private lending disputes? Well, yeah. This but, is like a hostage situation. Yeah. And eventually, I guess they didn't know that yet. So they're like, well, no, no, this is a hostage. They took him, they called his wife and said, we're holding him for ransom. They're like, oh, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So initially, I'm like, what? This happens a lot. And like, oh, okay. They, they didn't know about the ransom part. So uh, thankfully, they heard about the ransom requests and that the person uh, has who or that the person that has it might be who and they know who. Yeah, because clearly this happens yeah. like this is not their first time they've done this. Right. I'm sure. No, absolutely not. So this got them to take it more seriously and they made the case a priority immediately. So they did. They immediately dispatched an officer to the Wyndham Hotel in Hangzhou mm-hmm. where um, the, the meetup was yep, where Jung got who? taken. Uh, which happened to be, like I said, one of the nicest hotels in the area. And because it was so nice, police knew they'd have a good chance of finding Zhang and Hu on the security cameras. Sure. At least being able to see what's been going on. And But who it. knows that, you know? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not stupid. It's not like, oh, this hotel that I bring my people to has security cameras? <laughs> I'm so surprised. I had no idea. <laughs> right, right. Sure enough, police reviewed the tapes and found that Zhang and Hu entered the hotel at about 6.30 p.m. the prior evening. Then, about an hour later, both of them left the hotel in a hurry. Okay. Uh, so we don't know where he took him. No. Um, getting into a different vehicle from the one they arrived in. So there was some kind of plan here. Of this course. Not, They're not stupid. Right, right. This guy, who knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, there's not a ton of detail around the initial police search um, as far as like how they got some initial answers and things. Um, but, you know, there's definitely some details on, on you know, further in. But uh, while the police were following leads and doing all that kind of stuff in their initial search uh, to find Jung, his wife, his wife, as you can imagine, was an absolute mess. Oh, of course. That'd be horrible. Yeah, living in like depression, despair, anxiety, like just had no idea where her husband was knew that he was held and what's happening to him is he being tortured right now let me ask you this did they put a time limit on when they needed this money by i'm sure they did uh they didn't say exactly but that's always the case in the meantime is she trying to get this money yes and that's part of what's part of her anxiety it's all on her to try to get this money that's so scary that they just don't have so in the meantime while this is happening she received several phone calls from her husband's captors and every time she requested to speak to Zhang to make sure he was still alive. Yeah. She said that she would try to say some comforting words and be like, it's okay. Like, we're going to try to get it together. We're doing everything we can. Stay strong. And um, she would often hear him have these pain-filled gasps and oh like, please help and all that kind of stuff. So we don't even know if he's like on the brink of death at this point. Right. There was some kind of, you got to think there's some kind of torture going on. Of course. They, they want him to be in pain and to express that through the phone so that oh. they're more likely to get this money. Poor woman, poor guy. Yep. And then in early August, the family received a call from who? When he put Jung on the phone, who sounded like he was in terrible pain, like worse than normal. You know, basically just like at the end of his rope here. And he was begging his wife to save him and pay his ransom. Oh, Jesus. And at this point, we're going into close to a month. Yeah. Are they feeding him? You know what I'm saying? Or is he being starved to death? Yep. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're treating him like absolute crap. Right? I mean, they're not going to give him the, the five-star hotel no. uh, you know, meals and all that kind of stuff. Um. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of evidence either way because I'll, I'll talk more about it a little bit later. But um, he was also a diabetic too. Oh so Jesus! It was important to make sure that he, he ate was getting and, his medicine. Yep, took his meds and all that good stuff. Like you mentioned, you asked, you know, was she trying to get money together? I said yes. She was trying everything she could. She sold off all the properties that her and Jung managed together, and borrowed money from everybody she could think of, friends, relatives, business contacts, and tried to meet the demands of the kidnappers. And try to pay off the husband's huge gambling debt. 
Uh, Zheng's wife lost over 70 pounds during this ordeal. I don't doubt it. I'm not sure what she weighed to start. Um, if she was 400 pounds, that's not as big of a deal if she was, you know, uh, you know, a 150-pound woman or 200 or whatever. But it just goes to show the, the amount of stress that she was under. Yep. All the worry and fear is definitely taking its toll. She's probably not eating because she can't think of anything else outside of, okay, who else can I call? Who else can I... Oh, I'm sure she's not sleeping. She's you know, probably sick. And then she's got children too, you mentioned. Right. So there's her whole world's flipped upside down and it's all on her. It's a lot of pressure. After turning over every rock she could, she managed to scrounge together about 6 million yuan. Okay. 6 million out of 50? Yes. Oh, shoot. So 6 million yuan is about a million bucks in the US dollars. Okay. So we're a good six and a half million short here. Yeah. Yeah. Quite short. Um, so she deposited the money just kind of as a goodwill being like, Hey, um, I've got this together so far. I'm still working on it. I don't know if I can get much more like this is kind of me tapped out here selling everything we own. Um, and so that's just how much debt this guy was in. He was in like more than his net worth of, I mean, that when, when you're gambling and you're more than your net worth, like that obviously, you know, he's a smart guy. He's young. I'm sure, you know, he never thought that it would get to this. You you think eventually you'll get on a heater and you'll get the money back. Well, like you said, it's an addiction and you just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And then before you know it, the tank is empty. Right. And you're, and you're in a hole. Yeah. You're, you can't fill up your car because no. you don't have enough money to, you've, to, you've to, dug pay, a hole. to pay for what you've already used. Yeah. So um, was this all a surprise to his wife? Did she know the extent of his gambling and their debt? You know, every culture is different. Right. So I don't know. They don't they don't talk about that a lot. You know, every culture is different, but even in America, a a wife could be surprised and shocked by the extent of her husband's debt, not knowing what kind of gambling he's into. And she may have thought that he was just going on business meetings and you know hanging out with his associates and whatever and and not gambling the whole time. I'm sure she had to know that he was gambling. Right. And I don't know how, you know the husband and wife relationships are typically over in china like what the they share yeah or or is it like no a woman doesn't need to know type of situation yeah that's what i'm kind of getting the feeling kind of like your husband takes care of things yeah you don't ask questions correct that's what i'm thinking i don't know for sure Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways during this time police continued their manhunt for who and this is the guy you got to find I mean, this can't be the first time they've been on the hunt for who. No, and this isn't the first time who's been on the run from police. Either. I don't understand how this guy is not in prison. There's a lot of things going on in China. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of places. We talked about, you know, the the yakuza yeah. and all that stuff. I'm sure you know they don't mention that at all. But there's, you know, if you know enough people, there's a lot of bribery and there's a lot of things going on. It's if you pay somebody enough money, a lot it just of times, goes away. Yeah, yeah, things can be forgotten about. Uh-huh. So you know, there's corruption everywhere. It's tough. I I don't know. Um, because they're actively using police resources to find this guy. Yeah, a lot of them, and I'll tell you more about it. Uh, they had leads claiming to have seen him uh, in his home in Wenzhou, China. But after investigating, police turned up nothing. Like they had leads saying, "Oh, we saw him here. We saw him here," and they were looking everywhere. I mean, they, they, there's a like you said, a lot of resources going into this. And there's no way the guy's going to his house. I'm sure the house is being staked out 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, that's. Oh, probably... I'm just going to run home and grab that shirt I really like. <laughs> right, <laughs> forgot my shaving cream. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they were they were watching that. Eventually, it was found that during this time, who would change his location and where he was hang- holding Jung over 80 times wow. while the police were looking for him. Yeah, because anytime they were sniffing him out, he's relocating. Yeah, 80 times. That's a lot. That's, that's a not lot. That's not five or six or a dozen, like 80 times. And that's smart. But it goes to, to show how many people he knows. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like you can just show up to a hotel with a guy with like a bag over his head or something like that tied up. Well, and using your credit card. and Yeah. You, know, you can't be using your credit no. card. You got to be off the grid. So these are people that are just letting him come and stay yeah and that's that's he's well known you know, like he's, he's infiltrated in this country oh absolutely and as those leads continue to dry up police focused on finding contacts within whose inner circle uh this was the right step because police found enough evidence to make an arrest the account was the account that the money was transferred into was held by Zhang's. Oh, the, the the account that Zheng's wife transferred the money into belonged to whose wife? Okay, so this, um, tell me again the number, was it one? Um, About a million bucks. A million bucks, okay. A little less. But. So it went to whose account? Uh, whose wife's, wife's account. Wife's account, Correct. okay. So they're like, okay, we got this, we're going to go at least arrest her because she's... Maybe she doesn't even know anything. Well, on August 10th and August 16th, two different days, police raided multiple places and ended up arresting whose wife along with a couple of other accomplices. 
uh, whose wife denied any involvement and the other men refused to speak. So they know that they're going to get in trouble if mm-hmm, they do. Of course. They, they know the deal here. Um, whose wife also showed a divorce document proving that the couple had divorced in early June of 2012, just days before Zhang's kidnapping. Okay. So is this all like purposeful or it, is it actual? Well, who's a smart guy? So uh-huh. um, I, I think that they actually meant to get divorced. Okay. Um, but so he timed time, it at this point. Yeah. Who happened to transfer all of his properties to his ex-wife's name? Interesting. Right at this time. You wouldn't think you would do that. Right. So he was definitely thinking ahead before committing the kidnapping. He knew he was going to take Zhang here, and he knew that these things are going to be traced. Mm-hmm. And he traced, you know, transferred everything into his ex-wife's name. Unfortunately, whose wife's story of having no involvement wasn't completely true, because police found security camera footage of her depositing the ransom money into another one of her accounts. Okay, so it wasn't just done under her note, like where she didn't know it. Yeah, which they believed it at first. They're like, this is, you know, I, I could see it. You got divorced and maybe he's, you know, he's a, a shysty, hard guy to figure out here. But then again, they could have called her and been like, you're depositing this money. Don't ask a single question about it. Right. So she might not know a thing. Right. And just but was, just like, you're doing this. Yep. But they do have that that camera, so they got enough to be able to arrest Sure, her. she's connected. Yep. So while searching for other connections to who, police found his lover, Dai Mao, and kept 24-hour surveillance of her residence. Okay. In October, police learned that Dai had disappeared. Oh. Mm-hmm. When did she disappear? Um, October. October, okay. After searching phone records, they found that Dai and Hu had a phone conversation discussing plans to leave the country. Okay. Which is no surprise. Hu had already taken off. He was in Vietnam. As we mentioned, he knew all these different countries and had plenty of contacts in all of them because of his snakehead uh, experience. And police later found out Dai was in Western Europe. So they weren't together. They were apart at this point. Um, this is why police had such a fine t- hard time finding anything about who. They were looking in China, and he wasn't even in China. Do we know when he left? No. Now, does he have a new identity in Vietnam? Like no. a different name? You would think so, right? You'd think different IDs and stuff. Oh, I- yeah. If this guy knows people, they can create a whole new identity for him. Yeah. And now maybe he's using the same name. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of detail around that. But I'll get to a point where you'll see it, it, it kind of is a little head scratcher here. Um, but the Chinese authorities, once they figured out that he was traveling all around these different countries, they worked with Interpol to issue a red notice which is a request to worldwide law enforcement to arrest a certain suspect and ship them back to the country that is looking for the suspect. Which is why you would think he would have a different identity there. Right, because it's like, well, I'm who, and here I'm you know, presenting my, my records. It's, it's like, like oh, boom, we need you. Yeah, you're on this red notice. Yes. Sorry, buddy, you're not going anywhere. Exactly, you're going straight back to China. Right, now this is only with the countries that work with Interpol. Okay, now Vietnam does, though, correct? It doesn't sound like it. Okay, got it. So he knows this, too. Um, well, we'll find out. Okay. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure. While searching for other connections to who, police found his... Oh, wait, I already said that. So um, who was able to find a way into Vietnam, like I said, because of his experience as a snakehead, smuggling people into different countries and, and all that kind of stuff. Eventually, who left Vietnam... And this is why I'm saying I don't think Vietnam has anything to do with Interpol. Okay. And maybe he was using different, you know, different identities and things, but he made it in through Iran into Turkey. Oh. So he went Vietnam, Iran, Turkey. And eventually he planned to make it through Turkey into Europe, which could give him right to Greek or to Greece or Bulgaria. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Where in Europe does he have his eyes set on? Yeah. So once you get into Europe, it's kind of like open season. Right. You know, you can travel all around. Well, you can be in any country. Exactly. So he's just trying to get into Europe somehow. He was stopped while in Turkey. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And that's why I'm just still stuck on the fact that he's using his actual name. Right. So this this is what I thought about this part. He was only a few hundred feet away from the Greek-Bulgarian border. Wow. He was detained by the Turkish Border Patrol. They informed who of the Interpol red notice and who was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Obviously. I mean, he's the guy lies for a living. Of course. So, <laughs> you know, they, they said that he didn't know. And maybe he didn't. I don't know. But you'd think a few of his associates would be like, there's a red notice yes, for you, buddy. you would absolutely think that. But at the same time, you'd also think that he was using a fake ID. So he was obviously, maybe they identified him somehow through something. I don't know. But maybe he wasn't as smart as we're giving him credit for. But you would think in order to keep this thing going, you'd have to be. So maybe he did not know about the red notice. And he was just trying to get through each border. Okay. And he knew once he was getting into Europe that he'd be home free. But yeah. thank goodness the Chinese police figured out yeah. we need to get this going here. Um. So now the other thing 
you know, they informed him there was the red notice and he seemed unaware, but they set him up for deportation back to China. Right. They're like, okay, well, we're sending you back. Who thought quickly and made a fuss? Like, I'm not from mainland China. I am from Hong Kong. Like, do not send me back to China. I'm not going to China. Send me to Hong Kong. Which, so the Turkish authorities that repatriated who to Hong Kong, you know, just listen to them, which I don't know why. Which, why in the (laughs) hell? Oh, you don't want to go back there? (laughs) Right. You want to go to Hong Kong? Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. I don't know. No, I'm sorry, sir. You don't have a choice here. This is where you're going. And now there's, there's a a strife between Hong Kong and China. Um, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit here, but you know, maybe the Turkish people like knew that Hong Kong didn't want to be considered part of China. And he was acting like, no, no, I'm not Chinese. I'm from Hong Kong. I'm from Hong yeah, Kong. And you're also a liar and a criminal. Right. Right. So you would think they would just follow the documents and the yeah. instructions. And not this back criminal. Right. But somehow he talked them into sending him to, to Hong Kong. Um, but you wouldn't think this would be a big deal because Hong Kong is technically part of China, but the relationship between China and Hong Kong is weird. So technically, Hong Kong exists as a special administrative region controlled by the People's Republic of China. And because of that, they enjoy their own limited autonomy defined by the basic law. So they're kind of their own entity. Yeah. So the way it feels is China views Hong Kong as part of China, but Hong Kong views themselves as independent. Okay. And China's been trying to trying to like fight to become like make Hong Kong part of them because uh-huh. it's such a big business center. Right. Whereas Hong Kong's like, nope, we are our, our own people. And like, the, you know, you might hear in a few years that China just overtook Hong Kong. Right. It's but of as of right now, it's not the case. Right. So he was smart. Just get in. And somehow, I mean, there had <laughs> to have been some sort of there's no way these guys were just like, oh, okay, who? Sure. <laughs> we'll just send you on over to Hong Kong. Well, there had to have been something else there that caused them to do that. Right. You would think there's some kind of paperwork. Yeah, that paperwork. He had. He's like, no, see, look, I'm from Hong Kong. Yeah, I don't know. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that was his plan the whole time. If he ever got caught, just get to Hong Kong. So, yeah, he got into Hong Kong and they're independent. So, because of this relationship, Hong Kong doesn't have an extradition treaty with mainland China. Uh, of course not. <laughs> and they also have their own separate police force, like everything separate. It's yes. kind of like going to a separate country. Yeah. Even though it's part of China. It's really weird. You know what it reminds me of is this whole Disney business that's happening here in Florida. Hmm. How like Disney kind of has its own. Yeah. Like it's like its own country. Yeah. basically. Within Florida, they don't pay their taxes and whatever. And yeah, it, it's its own thing. Yeah, it just I know that's not the same comparison, but it's just what popped into my head. Sure. No, that sounds. I'll good. shut up now. Yeah, you go. China's basically Disneyland. It's Disney like World. Disney. Yeah, you know, Hong Kong's like Disney. People think they Disney do. World, don't Hong they Kong? have Disney in Hong Kong? I um, think so. Well, somewhere China. Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Just Japan. Ignore the hell out of me. Yeah, if you could stop talking, that'd be a big <laughs> just help. Shut up. To my story, if you could just stop talking about, it, I, I'll let you know what's going on here. Okay, Allison. <laughs> now you just think of Disney World and all those princesses. <sighs> and I'll, get, <laughs> I'll get back to to the story here. Anyways, folks. Um, so, yeah, because of the weird relationship, he was kind of safe in Hong Kong. I was Kong. just going to say, he's safe there. Yeah. Unfortunately for who, the Turkish border agents seized all his assets. So he had no money okay. or any resources, which is kind of nice as a border patrol. You get to keep all the money. It's a bonus. Huh. They're just, I mean, they, for, you know, intelligence purposes and whatever, but I'm sure they pocketed, you know. But then again, his his ex-wife has like all these things in her name. They've got to be working together. Well, like, he's got contacts. And yeah. Stuff. I mean, so there's no way this guy is without money. Well, at first it was, he was kind of in a pickle. Okay. So he had to call in a special favor. He contacted his friend, Ma Jai, and requested him to wire some money. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's got these contacts that he's not going to be living on the streets, eating from a dumpster. No, absolutely not. So um, his friend obliged, but Chinese authorities were all over it. Okay. They were following every associate that he had. Yeah. So I mean, great job to the Chinese police here. That's they, very detailed work. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't feel like this would have been necessarily done as well in the United States. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. maybe not. Depends. Yeah. You know, maybe if the CIA and FBI got involved, it would yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Um. And they quickly arrested Majai while recording the location of where the money was sent to who. Was it illegal for him to send him money? Probably because he's a, a convict or an escape person. Yeah, a person of interest. Okay. So... Um, and I'm sure they probably got him on some other stuff, too. Uh-huh. I mean, he's probably... He's associated <laughs> with this guy. I'm sure his hands aren't crystal clear. They're like, okay, we've got a list of things to charge you with here. We're going to go with this one. Yeah. I'm sure they found illegal something in his property. So um, in February 2013, the Chinese police discovered uh, who was hiding out in Thailand. Okay. So he got out of Hong Kong uh-huh. and went over to Thailand. Basically, he was, he was free again. Um, so... When they found out he was in Thailand, on February 26th, they sent six police officers from Hangzhou 
over to Thailand to meet up with the Royal Thai Police to try to apprehend who. And they all raided a luxury hotel room in Bangkok where they finally nailed down who. And where is Chong? Uh, how do you say his name? Jong? We'll find out. Okay. Okay. So this is a long time. Like, we're coming up on a year here. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. So uh, they found who along with his lover die. While this was going down, Chinese police arrested 13 other associates of Who's in China. Mm-hmm, just, his thugs. Yeah, exactly. Just somebody that had anything to do with this stuff. And they basically trying to bring down everybody and saying, okay, this is enough. It's, uh, it's gone too far. So he was brought to a police station in Thailand for interrogation. And he only admitted to kidnapping Zhang, but claimed to have released him in August once he realized the ransom wasn't even close to what he was looking for to pay off his debt. Right. He just released him. He's, sure you did. He's like, I don't know where Zhang is. I don't know. I let him go. I just opened the door and let him walk. Yeah. He's like, oh, you can't pay your debt? Okay. Well, see you later. But he didn't go home to his family and his desperate wife. Yeah. Probably to a casino. Or maybe, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Getting some burgers for a year. Whatever it might be. I'm sure, yeah, he, he didn't come home and say I'm safe or yeah. call his wife or anything uh-huh. like that. Even though he was last spoke speaking to her, like begging and moaning on the phone. Yeah. So whose accomplices were interrogated separately, as you can imagine. They don't want them in the same room, getting uh, wise and telling the same story here. Most of them were sticking to the same story that who had told them. But eventually there were two that cracked and told the same differing story. Okay. So these two said the same story that differed from whose. Got so it. So they knew that this was something they could... What may have happened. Exactly. They claimed that on August 31st, 2012, after who realized Zhang's family couldn't come close to the ransom request, that they were instructed by who to construct an iron cage. Oh my gosh. They then handcuffed Zhang and forced him into this cage before locking it shut. Oh. Now, this cage, I find out, is about two by two feet cube oh my gosh what a nightmare so uh, at first i pictured kind of like a big like shark cage when you're going into the water and you know we're talking about like a little like tomb yeah and jung was a standard you know five foot ten kind of guy um so basically he had to be in a fetal position to get into this cage i'm like feeling short of breath even just thinking about this yeah so the poor guy's curled up in this cage right now basically but when he was you know told put in there yeah exactly um they then handcuffed Zhang and, like I said, forced him into the cage before locking it shut. Then at nighttime, when few people were around, they drove to the Baijian Bridge. Oh, no. And threw the iron cage containing Zhang into the deep waters below. Oh, that's Could you imagine? terrible. You're stuck in a cage and you can't swim and you're underwater. No, like, you're just you're just drowned to death. Ugh, like so, my heart's pounding a little harder. Yeah, right you're sick about it. But at this point in time, the guy was probably so tortured that he was probably glad to be put out of his misery. Because at this point in time, he had been captive for six, two and a half months. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine the horror this guy lived through. And the torture he was already going through and probably the lack of food and water and things of that nature and just treated like an absolute animal, basically. What a nightmare. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, and threw him into the water. So when who was informed that his associates confessed this, mm-hmm. who insisted he had no personal stake in the action and refused to have any involvement whatsoever. In yeah. Death. Okay, dude. This, these guys are taking your cue. Well, that's what he's like. He's like, I didn't take him anywhere. I yeah. No, but you told them what to do and where to take him. Well, his story was basically, I didn't tell them anything. Um, they did this all on their own. Like, sure. Okay. I mean, it's it's a convenient thing. And this is definitely, I mean, the problem is that they need proof. So it's like, if he didn't put in an email or text or anything like that. But don't these guys work for him? Yes. They're so, not doing it. They're going by what he's telling them to do. Now it's up to these two guys. And if they get, they're you know believable and reliable and to go against his word. Right. And will they do that knowing that they're probably in danger? Oh, sure. They're going to have to be like on a witness protection program type of deal. Right. So this is all going on here. In March, the after interrogation, the Thai authorities agreed to extradite Hu to China and Hu was arrested as soon as he landed in mainland China. Now, the biggest problem remaining is finding the cage. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. They'd have to go to where this bridge is and get scuba divers. Yep. And they needed to find the cage and Zheng's remains so they can properly charge and book Hu and his accomplices. Ugh. Unfortunately, the area Zheng was so hastily thrown into the, uh, the, the deep water Um it fed into the second deepest man-made lake in the world. Oh, my gosh. And police would have to search hundreds of locations, all hundreds of feet deep, uh, along with strong currents. So wherever they dropped it, it doesn't mean that it went to the same place. No. Like, they have really no idea where it went based on the currents. And I'm sure they chose this location for that very reason. Absolutely. 
I'm sure this isn't the first guy that they took care of no. this way. Um, basically an impossible task. They got this whole thing in front of them. They're like, I don't even know. They're trying to find a needle in a haystack, in a gigantic haystack. Yes. Basically. Uh, the recovery project started in April of 2013. Police invited all the help they can think of. So, I mean, I'm really impressed by the resources the Chinese police did to try to find this guy here. Um, they had members of the science and underwater exploration communities as part of the deal. Like pretty much anybody they could think of that might be able to help them find something. They'd they have to in. have like a boat going all around with like the sonar in all these potential locations. Yep. So they're bringing a lot of people in. They pulled in a professor from the Department of Mechanical Engineering of Zhejiang University and her whole scientific research team. And they came up empty handed. They also tried the Second Institute of Oceanography of the State Oceanic Administration and the Number 715 Institute of China Shipbuilding Industry Corporation. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Probably some very smart people involved with all those words. Still no luck. Wow. Um, they are trying anything they could, right? Just uh, they had to. They had no choice. Right. So meanwhile, three court hearings were being held in June, August, and September while they were looking for Zhang's body here with who sticking to his same story. Never cracking. Um, having nothing to do with the disappearance of Zhang. It's like, nope, not my problem. Also, the accomplices that confessed to putting Zhang in a cage and throwing him into the water, remember them? They retracted their confessions. <laughs> Wonder why. Yeah. Who's like, um, you want your family's dead? Yeah, then keep with the story. Yeah. And they told police Zhang was, re- oh, um, they retracted their confessions. Oh, yeah. And told police Zhang was released just like who claimed. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, who told us to let him go? So uh, we let him go. Where did this story about the iron cage come from then? Right, right. And it's like, <laughs> so I mean, if they would have just stuck with that, they'd probably be in a lot less trouble at this point. Right. Who's like, you idiots. Like, just they don't have anything. Why would you give them something? Um, at this point, it seemed like things were going backwards. They're like, I can't find the cage. These people are retracting their confessions. Like, things are things are going the opposite way. In December, uh, December 22nd, officials enlisted the help of the United States with advanced deep water scanning equipment. Mm-hmm, just that's like what I was you said. thinking. Sonar, anything they could do. They created a 3D map of the areas being searched based on sonar and everything, just so they could say, you know, put it into a grid and say, okay, when we search this area, yes. let's focus on this area, hoping that the cage doesn't move in the meantime. That's just the thing. Is it going to settle where it, where it lies? Yeah, you would think. Um, so they still didn't find the cage. Ugh. Finally, they used a very expensive underwater robot named Tiger. Wow. They had visibility of about two meters in these waters, so six feet. Uh, they set up a detailed search grid of about five foot like grid. So a very, very, very small uh-huh. grid. Like and you know, very detailed to search every single section. Eventually, you know, first they had a kind of a, a big um, you know, grid. Now it's like very a five foot grid, basically, between these two uh all these different uh, lines that they were making. So Tiger, um lo and behold, it paid off. On the afternoon of December twenty eighth, twenty fourteen, Tiger located the cage. Wow. In a ditch about two hundred and fifty feet deep with human remains inside. Unbelievable. Like these these people were dedicated and they were hellbent on finding it. Well, because if they don't, this is gonna be an ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't an isolated incident. Well, how many stories? We've even done some stories where it's like, well, a car went into the water and uh, they couldn't find it. In right. A lake. I mean, we're like, talking about potential for X places where this current could have taken it. Right. So and this, they were able to find it. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, we've done a lot of stories where it's like, no, they couldn't find it. And it, it sounds like they absolutely exhausted the resources in order to do this. Yeah. And some very dedicated people, too. Like this is, I'm very impressed by the community that came together for this. So. And the fact now this tiger um, robot, this was owned by the United States. No, this tiger robot was somebody in somebody in Asia. Okay. okay. Um, I had his name, but you know, I, I left out a lot of names because it was hard to pronounce it. Yeah, no worries. I just didn't know if it came from the U.S. or not. Yep. No, nope, this one was from somewhere in Asia. Um, but I was just mentioning the U.S. because they pulled every resource uh-huh. they could. So as police pulled the iron cage up from the bottom, they had to be very, very careful. Because this thing's been in there for two and a half years yeah. at this point. Like, that's how long the search went on. Crazy. Insane. So the iron was starting to rust away, and the lock was broken. The door to the thing was open. They, you know, the, wow. the robot found it. So they're like, man, as we're pulling this up here, I mean, the remains could be falling out. If, mean, if it's not already swept away. Yeah. I mean, the, the robot did see that there's remains Okay. In there. So they knew that there's something in there. Okay. Okay. So, um... Yeah, so after two and a half years of being down there, super rusty, luckily, everything came up in one piece, and they retrieved everything that they were hoping to. 
the cage, like I said, was basically a two by two foot cube, maybe two by three, two and a half, something like that. Very small. Um, so like we said, they found them crammed into oh. the small cage in the fetal position. Uh, due to decomposition, almost none of the body could be used for an autopsy. You know, two and a half years underwater. Right. But luckily, DNA tests did confirm this was the body of Jean. Oh, it's so sad. Yep. I'm just glad they found him. Yep. After all these years of searching, the dedication... Oh, maybe it was one and a half years. I'm sorry. Um, well, one, it was 2014 and he was disappearing and... Oh, yeah. Was it 2013 that he... Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, Actually, wasn't it August 31st, 2020 or 2012 that he was um put in this cage and put over the bridge? So we were looking at um, more than two years. Okay. So, yeah, two and a half years of searching and all the dedicated people that moved to this nearby mountain village. So there was ended up people that moved to try to f- wow. help find him. And they lived there for 28 months. Unbelievable. Like, away from their families, away from their friends. And these people lived there to try to dedicate it to finding it. And this was huge news, obviously. You know, if your family and everything is over, <laughs> somebody from your family is over trying to find this guy. It's like, I mean, this is this was huge news in China. And finally, Zheng's family had some closure. Thank goodness. And it, all that hard work paid off that they found what they were looking for. Yep, exactly. Uh, in court, six of whose accomplices pled guilty to lesser charges of having no direct involvement with Zheng's death, but still had some involvement. Right. Um, whose trial started on February 11th, 2015. Who still clung to the story of having no direct involvement. He said, quote, I was trying to move Zheng Hong to another place. The house I also rented in a North Mountain Bridge Drive over a bit of road is a farmhouse for chickens and ducks, but then the car drove to the bridge. Okay. I let Zheng Hong go. After that, I do not know where he went. Uh Uh-huh. He went over the bridge in an iron cage where you instructed your men to do so. Yeah. We already know this, bud. Mm -hmm. Um, You can say whatever you want. He's directly tied to you. You walked into the hotel with this man. Yep. And prosecution replied, so until this moment, you still insist you have nothing to do with this recovered body, the one that we just found here, and that your associates said you told them to do this. And the reason why that this man was with him was because he lent him the money. Mm -hmm. If anyone was going to put him in this cage and have him put over the bridge, it was you. You were the one that had interest in this. You had the interest. Yep. Whose response was, yep, I'm sticking to the same story. So the two accomplices that brought the cage to the bridge changed their tune again. And they said, we were lucky the body wasn't found before, which is to say that they finally admitted guilt. Um, according to the testimony, Zheng was given a final meal prior to getting thrown into the iron cage and then thrown over the bridge into the deep water. The guys that brought Zheng to the bridge claimed that they were only putting him on the ledge to scare him. Okay, sure. Now, the way these guys t- explained it, it sounded like one guy was really responsible for putting the cage up on the thing, and the other guy went back because his car he forgot to put the car in park or something and the car started like rolling like this seems like a kind of a movie like no they wouldn't be stupid enough yeah. not to put this in park but the story that they both corroborated was that this the car started moving so this guy goes to run after the car and while he's holding this cage on the the edge of the bridge it fell yeah it tips over and he hears you know the guy go run after the car here's a splash and looks back like holy shit the cage just fell into the water. Well, I would imagine it was pretty darn heavy because, the, you know, Chong himself must weigh X pounds and then the iron cage has to be heavy. Yes. How two men even hoisted it up there, I don't know. Right. I think two would be <laughs> quite a, uh, an effort. Um, three, you know, I, I don't know how many it would take. It definitely wouldn't be one guy. And to your point, who had an interesting point similar to what you said, he said those two people... One said they did not even touch the cage while the other put it up on the railing. He said Zhang Hong is 200 pounds. The iron cage is also 70 to 80 pounds. That's what I exactly what I was wondering. Exa- like, what are we looking at poundage? Who said, I can't lift a person, and especially not a moving person, in a cage. So I simply did not push the iron cage down. I simply released Zhang Hong. So this, you know, they can't get who hands on this iron cage it's i think it's it's factual we all know that who what or the yeah who wasn't the one to push the cage into the water but he probably instructed these guys he was the puppet master exactly which still means you're responsible for it nice try just because you didn't have your hand on it your henchmen were afraid of being put to death basically they work for you yes exactly so um you think exactly like who congratulations um the prosecutor argued that zheng was treated terribly um, less than a human. 
and less than an animal when locked in the cage and pointed out how all involved carefully planned out the crime and where to dispose of the cage. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like this wasn't a random thing. This was planned on this night that was very dark and you you knew exactly what you were doing here. This whole balancing of the cage and running after the car sounds a very unbelievable to me because I'm picturing this 280 pound cage balancing on a railing. By one guy. No way. Yeah. Like I couldn't do that. I'm a big dude. I'm one. Yeah. I'm probably top 90th percentile of of larger men in the United States. Um, I'm 6'2", 250 pounds. I would have a really hard time holding a gigantic cage over a railing. Right. like Like, you know, it's, I don't get it. And even if a guy moved a little bit, I mean, any kind of momentum would push him right over. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, oh, prosecution also made sure, which um, thankfully, they to show the court just how small the cage was in the courtroom. They they made a little mock-up of it and everything. And they also made sure to show some video from when the, when the cage was discovered underwater, just to show the remains and be like, this is, you know, really kind of pull it home. They, right. They, this they murdered this guy. This was a person that was put in this cage and put in the water. Yep. So basically, whose defense team argued that the death wasn't intentional on whose part? Even though, like we said, like you were the one that told them all this stuff. Um, his, whose defense also brought up the possibility that Zhang could have been dead before being thrown into the water. Like At this point, they're just grasping for straws. It's like uh, they said due to his diabetes. Um, well, and the fact that for months he was kept as a prisoner. Yep. They said they heard no yelling or struggling from Zhang as they were lifting his cage to be thrown into the water, which you would definitely think there'd be fighting or something. But like you said... You're, you haven't been treated well. You haven't been fed. Like, he's probably out of energy here and just in despair and just kind of like, I don't care, whatever. End it. Yeah, just basically given up. Yep. Um, their argument was that perhaps Jung didn't get his proper medication in time, but prosecution quickly countered the diabetes story, saying it wouldn't have caused such a short and sudden death. It wouldn't be like, Ugh, I'm dead from diabetes. Right. But um, you could go into a diabetic coma. Yeah, I was going to bring that up for you because you're a dietitian. You would know. Well, the question is, what kind of um, medication is he on? Because if he's insulin dependent, it would have been much quicker. Yeah. I mean, there's no way he would have lasted until August. Right. So So it all depends. I'm assuming he was maybe on just some oral meds to kind of help control it. It wasn't a type one situation, a type one diabetes situation where you rely on insulin or you die. Right. Otherwise, he would have been dead sooner. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I guess, you know, people were listening to it and seeing that it was a possibility there. But even so, it's like you had him in a goddamn cage. Right. And regardless <laughs> of the fact, this man is dead because of you. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care how he died. He died because of you. Right. So on March 16th, 2015, a verdict was in. Seven accomplices were found guilty. Two of them were acquitted. And who was sentenced to death? Oh, wow. The accomplice that was responsible for physically placing the cage on the railing was sentenced to death with two years reprieve, which means if he had good behavior in jail for two years, his sentence would likely be reduced to life in prison rather than death. Okay. While the second accomplice, the one that went back for the car Uh as he was driving, uh, he was sentenced to prison. So he got off a little bit easier than the guy that actually brought it up there. But life in prison? Yes. Okay. Well, we don't know for sure. I can't say for sure. Because, I mean, just because he ran after the car... Right, and didn't have this hand on the cage or whatever. So. There's no way one man lifted that cage. Yeah, I don't know. Um, in China, when a death sentence is given, it has to be submitted to a higher court for review and approval. And on December 13th, 2016, who was brought to the execution grounds and he was put to death. Wow. Not sure exactly how he was put to death, uh-huh. but likely based on statistics, lethal injection. Got it. So this case is very well known in China where they call it the Iron Cage Corpse Case. Did you ever see a picture of the cage? yes yes i did did it um was it solid iron like did it have any bars. hole oh it was like bars iron, okay iron bars. yeah got it yeah That's basically so sad. i would imagine they welded it somehow with you know, rebar or something like mm-hmm. picture like rebar basically Ugh, um brutal yeah and you're in this tiny like i can't imagine this guy i'm a poor guy i mean this is a great example there's addictions all over the place you know whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling or something like we tell our kids all the time too much of anything is not good right and you're getting yourself involved with these dangerous people absolutely and he i'm sure Zhang never wanted to get it this deep no, in. of course not he it, had a family he had a wife it was about chasing 
the mm-hmm. possibility of getting it out. Yes. You know, if it was me, I'd be like, I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to worry, you know? And I'd be like, okay, just like one more, I'm going to take you know one more loan. I'm going to bet it on black on you know, roulette and I'm going to win it back. Please God, please God. And anybody out there, please let me win it so I can just get out of this debt. I'll never gamble again. I promise he made that promise to himself probably, you know, five or 10 times. Right. Cause you're already in it that far. So you just keep going. Right. So you keep on doubling your bets to try to win your money yeah. back. And I hear some people that do that with like sports wagering. It's like, well, I lost like three in a row, so I got to put, you know, 2000 on this one. It's like, no, you don't. You yeah. can just like oh, keep so on trying to win. I'm not into gambling at all. Yeah. Same here. So sad story. Oh, China. wow. Yeah. So thanks to uh, Moondog for providing that. Yeah. That, uh, Good research. I, I'd read a lot of those resources. They were so hard to read. So <laughs> so he compiled them all nice and neat for you. Yeah. I, uh, I I corroborated a lot of it, but I mean, it was it was tough. So thanks, buddy. Um but yeah, and uh, hey, thank you so much for listening here. We appreciate it. Um, you know, I want to put a shout out to our Patreons over here. We got Lily, Karen, Nadine, Allie, Susan, Michael, Kayla F., uh, Kelly, and um, also a couple uh, others here. We got Colleen, Kayla, Leah. And uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, go ahead and you know, oh, we got like what six bonus episodes now online. So if you become like a tier two or tier three member, you get to listen to all of them immediately. So we don't even charge you till the first of the month. You got pretty much a whole month to listen to them. So uh, we might be changing that. Who knows? But uh, yeah, go ahead and Patreon. Go look in the show notes and please become a, a patron if you'd, uh, you'd like to listen. A little bit less banter. So I know some of you people really hate that, but uh, <laughs> apparently there's a big big wig out there. Feel very strongly about it. Yeah, but if you can go ahead and uh, give us a, a five star review and if you have a bad review go ahead and just keep it to yourself maybe tell your mom or something like that but yeah, um, yeah we'd appreciate that too so anything else to add young no, lady not at all okay well hey thank you so much for being with us we appreciate the hell out of you and we well, sure do we'll and have next week. a safe and happy fourth of july if you're here in america amen to that all right until next time bye, bye.